Welcome, everybody, to The Fall Line with Chaos and Company. I'm pretty excited tonight. I know Angelo is. We have the Alpine team coach, Michael Rogan, here with us tonight. So we should have some great conversation. Welcome, guys. Thanks for the invite, gentlemen. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm definitely excited you're here. And uh, we've, been, we've been starting these conversations, Michael, with um, a lot about just how things started, like way back when learning how to ski. And I guarantee a lot of folks I know I am interested in um, how and where did you learn how to ski? Was it from family? Was it lessons? Or did you just throw sticks on, this, on there and head down the hill? Well, I'm still in the process of learning. Okay. Uh, and as I get older, I can feel like I have to keep learning and continue to learn. Otherwise, that uh, it get that the edge gets pretty dull pretty quick. But um, you know, I, I yeah, it was interesting. I had a I we had a snow day from school, and uh, my mom was working, my dad was working, and one of our family friends was a was a uh, school teacher, and she said, "Look, I'll I'll take the boys with me. I'm going to go up to Wyndham and go skiing." Um, but I'm not teaching them and I'm not babysitting. Them. Um, so I'll take them with me and, and I'll take care of them. That way my mom could stay at work. My dad could stay at work. Uh, so we went to Wyndham and my brother and I took a group lesson and, uh, we took it. It was a half a day. Cause I remember being cut loose on our own and boy, I, I tell you what I remember. I remember a couple of things pretty vividly like they were yesterday. One, I think I was probably about nine because my brother's two years younger than me. And I can't imagine my mom or my dad or this school teacher uh, allowing the two of us to roam on our own um, much younger than that. Um, but at that time, you know, it, I'm sure it was possible and, and a good thing. You know, I mean, we got the kicked out of the house at, when you got back from school and said, you know, don't show back up until it gets dark. <laughs> um, so we were. We were left to, to ski afterwards, and and I know that my ski instructor, our ski instructor, was a younger, uh, well, younger guy. I don't know if it was an Austrian or not, but he had an accent. And I tell this tell this story to Franz Crickle a, uh, a while ago, and uh, and he said, you know, I, there were a bunch of us, but that could have been me because I feel like I felt like you know I remembered the name of this guy because I hadn't heard ever in my life, the name Franz. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it timeline, it works out. So for the, for the romance and Stu Campbell used to tell me, don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good story. So I'm <laughs> going to say that Franz Crickle taught me how to ski when I was nine years old. Uh, and my brother, when he was seven, and I remember skiing parts of Windham mountain. Um, I still remember like it was yesterday. I remember going up a, a roof of a house, it seemed like it must have been like a snowmaking shack or some type of little, I mean, it probably was this big. I thought it was this, you know, Mount Everest as a nine-year-old kid. Um, and then afterwards, uh, we were left on our own. Uh, and my brother and I uh, kind of explored as two kids. We we took to it pretty good. I mean, Franz was a good teacher, still is. Uh, he's certainly a legend in the, in the East Coast and, and elsewhere. Um, but it was at Wyndham Mountain. Um, way back when, when I was nine years old, my brother was seven. We took a group lesson. Uh, we learned how to ski well enough that we could be on our own. Uh, and I can remember our, our, the teacher that took us there, Mrs. Dabson. Wow. I can't believe I remember this stuff. Mrs. <laughs> Dabson, 
riding over the lift and looking down at us and going, Michael, Robert, is that you two? <laughs> and we were, we were under the lift in the trees in a little gully all twisted up and tangled up and, uh, and having a ball, uh, as I remember it. So, so that was, yeah, we took, we took lessons with Franz Grickle. That's what oh, I'm going to say. That is awesome. That's a great, that, that's a cool story. Um, pretty special. So, so how, how did the skiing go from there? Like through your teen years and that, was it, um, sporadic? Was it every weekend? How did you get to the resort? Um, well, my sisters, both of them, um, they skied a little bit. Uh, I really liked it. I enjoyed again, back to, you know, that, that generation when you were told, uh, you know, just go outside and play and don't come back for five hours. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed just doing things and walking through the woods and, uh, and just playing, being outside. Uh, so, so skiing was something that really, 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 uh, interested me because like now, uh, I mean, I think it's one of the few things where you can be a kid and, and explore, yeah. you know, you're able to, everything seems so structured and you, you, you know, you've shuttle and carpool to this practice and go to that practice and it's indoors and it's in a fenced in area and, and skiing is so unique because you know you get to ride a chair by yourself and then you get to decide where to go and you get to go here or there or, or whatever and get in a little bit of trouble and then you ride the lifts at night and um you know hoot and holler in the shadows until you come up into where it's lit again i mean all of those things that i think create nice good characters and people. Um, those are all things that really drew my attention. Uh, so, so I skied through high school. We had a, we had a ski club, um, probably what in my, in high school, probably one of the, the biggest role models that I had was Sean Warman. I mean, he's a past team member of mine, works at Wyndham mountain now, uh, lives back in Rhinebeck, New York, where I grew, he and I grew up, but, uh, but he, um, he was the older kid. So he skied and he had the, you know, the, the gray and the black CB jacket and, and he was the cool guy and he could do back scratchers and, um, he could lock his feet together and, and rip down a wheelchair at Wyndham mountain and, and just was just awesome. Yeah. Um, and so he was a high school uh, ski friend of mine, uh, Frank Cartwright, who I went yep. to high school with. Uh, he's a he's a, a good name to know in the East Coast. Uh, he was uh, in the ski club, a guy by the name of Carl Beach and and my brother. Yep. Um, you know, the kind of the four of us buddied around the around Wyndham and Hunter and and then where I, and I started working teaching skiing at Catamount. Uh -huh. um, so. Yeah, I, I just I just like the I like being outside. I like the the quietness. I like the solidarity. I like the the individual sport of it. Um, I loved team sports growing up, but but it was fun to go out and just be an individual. So what what caught you onto the teaching? I mean, what what was like? Okay, I'm gonna go to Catamount <laughs> and become a ski instructor. You know, uh, like a lot of people that graduate from high school that don't want to go to college, you, know, you need a job, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, <clears throat> and I had taken growing up. So in high school, I growing up taking lessons, I took lessons at Catamount. Uh, I'd pick up my dad's beer cans and that would pay for part of a, of a private lesson. And my parents would kick it in the other part, turn in his aluminum, uh, Jenny light cans, uh, Jenny cream ale. Wow, that's going back a little way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I would, uh, I'd turn it in uh, his aluminum beer cans, save up some money. Uh, every week. And then my 
parents would kick in the rest and I would take a, a one hour private lesson at Catamount from a guy by the name of Ray Springstead who owned the Celeron Motel right there at the corner in Claremont, New York. Um, yeah, that's probably too much information, but <laughs> I'd skied with him. I'd skied with him for an hour a week and he did a great job from what I remember. And I kept asking him, how do I get better? How do I get better? And then he said, look, you know, if you want to get better, you need to race. I'm like, okay, so I need to race. So I, I joined the tri-state ski league out of, in the Kit Kat club out of Catamount, New York and, uh, and raced and, and was coached by people like, uh, Frank and Shy Reeves, uh, Deb Ryan, um, Jimmy Connors, Glenn Wheeler. Uh, here's a name that is to the East coast, Brian Dolan. I think he's yeah. the ETS member <laughs> Yes, in the East. So Brian Dolan, uh, was one of those people. And, and then after I had one year, I was in high school, 15, 16 years old. I had one year to race tri-state, tri-state and said, okay, how do I continue to get better? And, uh, and Jimmy Connor said, you should come and take a learn to be a ski instructor course. I'm like, what's that? I don't know what that is. And that's when I met, uh, met Brian Dolan and Brian Dolan, uh, who's at Wyndham Mountain, New York now <laughs> works with Murmur Blakesley and Power Learn, And, and as part of the, the, the ETS squad in, in the East coast, he gave me my first learn to be a ski instructor course oh, at Mountain, New York. That's awesome. I love that. Oh my God, Brian Dolan! Wow, we're gonna have to have Brian come on now and, and and let us know how you did in that that session and if he thought this was what was gonna happen for you. I did well so far. I've knock on wood. I've uh, <laughs> I've been able to I've been able to keep the the torch lit. Uh, yeah. Brian did a he did a wonderful job. Everybody cat him on. I mean, I've I've been fortunate. I'm sure we'll get into it talking about Pico and uh, and Portillo, Chile, and then Heavenly. Yeah. But uh, but everywhere I've been, I've met some amazing people that have been extra special in my, in just my development. I, I just came across the right people at the right time. Uh, they asked me the right questions. They motivated me in the right ways. Um, some were jerks, but still motivated me, motivated me extremely well. And, and, uh, my time at Catamount set the stage for all of this silliness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thankful for it. Yeah. And to so, Brian. Good job, Brian. Yeah. Brian gets the shout out, man. So Michael, when, when did you know this was going to be your life? Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I can remember my first lesson that I gave after I learned, did my learn to be a ski instructor course. Uh, and, and it was just terrible. Oh, <laughs> I look back on it now and, uh, and it was just horrific. I, I tried to teach everything that I thought that I knew about skiing through this course. And, and, uh, and it turns out I talked about everything I didn't know. It was just horrific. And I remember it to this day. Fortunately, it was, uh, it was some family friends and they felt had a little pity on me and took a private lesson so that I could make a little bit of money. But, um, just within that time at Catamount, I think Angelo, I mean, I really started, I, I knew I loved skiing, uh, took high school trips, really enjoyed that. But I found out that uh, that I really enjoyed really enjoyed teaching, and and I didn't expect it at all. I mean, I really I really didn't. I, it was not something that uh, that I expected. But I I remember that was the kind of the time after that first year at Catamount teaching. And I also remember in in high school and at the ski club, uh, I was looking through Ski Magazine. Uh, kind of ironic. <laughs> Uh, again, all these things that come full circle. I was looking at Ski Magazine, and there was an ad for Olin Skis, 
that said, who are these guys? And they were, they were publicizing the DTSL, the Olin DTSL, the D-Team Slalom Ski. It was supposed to be a user-friendly slalom ski built by instructors for people that want to get better. And the question was, who are these guys? And, and I, somewhere I still have the ad. I remember tearing it out of the magazine and taking it home and saying, this is interesting. I, I, I want to see what this is about. Um, but I think uh, probably Tim Petrick was on there. Chris Ryman was probably on there. Jens Husted, uh, they might have been, it was in that era. Um, they might have been on that ad. Maybe Sean Smith, maybe Mike Porter. Um, you know, I think that those were people that were in that ad. And, and through that first time teaching, I really started to, to gig on it. I really liked it. I liked interacting with people. Uh, I enjoyed the, the look on people's face when they, they figured something out and they learned something. Um, you know, most of the time it was when I got out of the way versus when I got in the way. Um, but so, you know, that was, that was it. And then, and then it became, okay, how do I do this? How do I really do this? Um, you know, I was teaching skiing at Catamount. I got registered at Bel Air, um, probably with potentially with, uh, with Bruno Gubetta. Uh, I feel like I remember a really tall Italian sounding name guy that was really intimidating in his Don John one piece suit by the board, <laughs> board of examiners at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, that when I was coming yeah, up through, yeah, yeah. He was intimidating. Still is when I see him still at, is. <laughs> at the examiner training. I, I don't mind saying that. He'll go, come on, caper. And I go, no, no, you still are, man. He's, I look up to him. Hey, neck hurts looking up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> You know, I'm at, uh, there, and then um, so I can remember um, that with Bruno, um, and, and then uh, and then I got I got level two associate certified at the time. Um, did that at Wyndham. Bob Shostick uh, was there. Um, uh, God, who else was? Uh, I should I, I know I have the scorecards in my. <laughs> I, I still absolutely. <laughs> you betcha. Oh yeah. Yeah. You betcha I do. Uh, but I took the, I took the exam with Paul Ebers from, from Catamount. Um, and we both passed and we were pretty excited about that. But at that point in time, I realized, okay, so this is fun teaching skiing. I like it. I'm skiing, which was great. I'm, I'm in a cool place with a lot of interesting people that I've, that coming up, growing up in Rhinebeck, I wasn't going to get exposed to. Uh, and then I, said, okay, well, I don't want to work construction. I'd done that. I'd done a little bit of masonry. Um, I wasn't a mason. I was an apprentice. So I was carrying block and mud and it was a lot of hard work. And I figured there's got to be places in the world that you can find skiing uh, in our summertime. Uh, and uh, that was about the time that I moved to um, from, from Catamount to Wyndham after I got my, uh, my level two or associate exam at the time. Uh, that's an interesting story as well from Joe Wood. I he sent me a letter that uh, that said, "Congratulations on your exam and passing at Pico. We're interested in hiring um, a bunch of people, and we'd like to talk to you about a job." And I thought that he was, you know, I thought that he was at the exam and he saw me and he wrote this letter just to me personally. And it turns out it was a form letter that he sent to everybody in the past. <laughs> <laughs> but, how, uh, how long did it take for you to realize that oh that wasn't a letter just to me <laughs> so here it is here's the time <laughs> when i showed up at pico for an interview my first job interview of my life my father 
God bless him, made me uh, made me get a sport coat and a tie. I was going for a job interview. My dad worked at IBM, so that was the corporate way. And I was sitting in the Pico Lodge, um, waiting for Joe to show up. And here I am, just this knuckleheaded idiot in a, in a sport coat and a tie, ready for my interview. I had my resume with me, you know. I mean, just all the things that uh, <laughs> that some knucklehead is, is supposed to do. And Joe shows up in a t-shirt and cut off shorts, a bunch of books on one arm, a cup of coffee, and a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, you must be Rogan. There's <laughs> <laughs> dead silence, right? Dead silence for all you like, should I say something? Or? <laughs> uh, so I did. And uh, yeah, I said, yes, I, I'm Michael Rogan. And, and then I realized that uh, that the letter just went to everybody, and it wasn't was nothing. There was a ton special about Joe Wood, but there was certainly nothing, absolutely nothing special about me. Oh man, oh Joe, that is so funny. Oh man, I do have some Joe Wood stories, but we won't get into them tonight. Oh man, God bless him. So, so at, at Pico, uh, I was at Pico uh, working, and and that ski school, just like Catamount, was amazing. I mean, you had Bruno Gabetta. Um, you had Chris Giuseppe, you had Roger Bush, Dave, uh, Dave sauce, Joe Wood, Kathy Wood, Pete Palmer, Willie Tate. Those guys were all in and out, uh, of, of Pico as full-time examiners. You had, uh, Emily Gregg, who's still yeah. a member of, of the, the East, uh, yeah. BOE. I mean, you had all those people that were, were in and out and then Jim McKeon and Tom Barber and in the race team and, um, uh, there was just a, a bunch of people there. Uh, so there was a great environment and they just came in and out and in and out and in and out. And I'd heard because Bruno had worked in Portillo, Chile, um, one season. So he told me about that. And I found out that Jimmy Ackerson was the ski school director down at Bromley where Sue Kramer now works. Um, and, uh, and I got Bruno gave uh, Jimmy a call and said, Hey, there's this kid who might work out to, to work in Portillo. Um, he's a level three. He's got his development, took his development team exam. He passed that and, and he might be a good person to, to have. And Jimmy was just taking over the ski school um, from Hartmut Helmstrike, teaches in Austria, uh, works in Aspen. But uh, before that was Ziggy Grottendorfer, which was the ski school director in Sugarbush. Um, so, Jimmy uh, gave me a job interview. Uh, I went down to to Bromley, the Sunshine Mountain, and uh, and took a couple of runs and and got a job working in Portillo. And then I realized that you could do it year round. So take a take a good long draw of that there, Angelo, and and that's how we got to how I figured out how to <laughs> how to make this a, a year round thing was that uh, that I got lucky and and got introduced to Portillo Chile in. 1989. Uh, and that then, was the most thorough answer we have had <laughs> to date on Chaos yes. and Company. It's awesome. That's well, well done, Michael. Well, you got to get the people in that made so much to you. You know, yeah, the left yeah, impression right, on you. Right, you know, right. I mean, if if you, mm -hmm. I, I'm fortunate enough that that you guys want to talk to me, so I got to be respectful enough to the people that put me in the place to be able to talk to you too. So uh, yeah. I got to mention people like Jimmy and Stu and Emily and and. I mean, Betsy Keel and Barb Marshall. Barb Marshall was huge influence to me at Pico. Uh, you know, just about going out and just skiing. Tim Thompson. Yeah. Tim Thompson and I were, I mean, we cut our teeth at Pico. 
uh, and getting drug around by uh, by Betsy Jenkins at the time, Betsy Keel. She married a ski instructor, Woody Keel, that big, uh, big high up on the list at Killington um, at the time. And they're out in Vail now. But I mean, just those people that just, you know, they just they just drug you around a little bit and they pushed you and you pushed them and, and we pushed each other and, and we listened and we got, you know, we got lambasted by Joe Wood. Uh, <laughs> man, I can remember getting called into his office going, you know, with his cigarette. Yeah. I saw you standing on that Hill for 10 minutes. <laughs> Next time you're standing there for 10 minutes, you won't be near the parking lot for 11 because you'll be out of here. <laughs> you know, I mean, just things like that, that, uh, yeah. that now are, are just such good. I mean, you look at, uh, I love what is, what is happening in teaching and, and learning and all of that. But yet way back when Joe Wood with a cigarette and a cup of coffee in his mouth said, kid, you've been standing around for three minutes out in that big area. You better move your ass or, or I'm going to move it for you out of here. <laughs> hey, Angela, well, that goes right into our last couple of our podcasts to make sure we keep moving. Even Eric wanted that to happen. Don't right. stand and, so and, much. And people wanting to kick us out of places. Yeah. yeah Talk about yeah, full yeah. circle. Hey, yeah. Michael, I will tell you, one of, one of my favorite things about your story so far is that, um, you, I mean, you, you have had vast success in in the in we could you could say in the ski world but i think it's larger than that your your success yeah, you. is like you know multi-continent you speak multi-languages you, you are involved in some of the most important things in skiing globally it, it's an amazing career life right. slash life but i i think i'm not my, done yet Oh, well, we, no, hope I, not. we hope not. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't your eulogy, dude. Yeah, it's no, actually, no. it's leading up to a question, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. There's maybe a question at the end of this. Um, <laughs> but but one of my favorite things about it is that it you you got there, um, I'm going to say unconventional in the modern sense. I, I worked mm -hmm. for a lot of years in public education, and we pushed young kids toward college. Like, that's the way to go. That is the answer. But it seems that you saw early on that that wasn't the route you wanted to take. You wanted to do something different and you've had this vast success. And I'm just, I'm wondering how you um, encourage young people now to, you know, maybe not necessarily follow what you did, but to follow what they want to do to make their life. Well, I, you know, I do, I just got, Earlier in the season, we got done with a uh, with our new hire clinic, and and I'm fortunate at Heavenly uh, Ski Resort, you know, to Mountain Resort, um, to um, to be a part of those. Uh, now on the other side, learn to be a ski instructor clinics. Uh, I mean, they changed they've changed drastically, um, but there were a couple of kids that were young. There was one kid from Stowe. Uh, James and another kid from the from Killington Mountain School by the name of uh, Sawyer, um, and these are two young kids that uh, that had moved out west. They, you know, they were living the dream. So, I mean, you just, yeah, yeah. I guess I do what uh, what people did to me. You know, I mean, you when you see them, you you encourage them, you ask them how they're doing, you ask them if they need anything. Uh, you know, I mean, there was nothing better than knowing that there was going to be a hot meal in the locker room sometimes um, at Catamount or at, or at Pico. Um, you know, those times have, have certainly changed. But uh, but yeah, you do what you can to say, 
you help them out with their professional career and development and you get them to to understand that uh you know it, it comes from being a student of the sport and trying stuff and and working um, trying to instill a work ethic. I mean, it's really easy. I mean, here in California, we just got a foot of snow. So it's really easy to go, no, I'm going to backline and, and go skiing. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I think you get good at certain things when you go skiing and you get other th- good at other things when you go teaching and, and trying to keep, just keep people working. Um, you know, the idea that it's, it's okay to work a full day and, and be tired from, from pizzaing and French frying. Um, and, uh, and then just, being a resource, you know, being a resource that here's a manual or, or read this, or here's an article or pay attention to that. Or, you know, I, I want to go somewhere else. Okay. Well, look, I, I happen to know people in, in Jackson hole or in, in uh, wintergreen or wherever it is that you want to go. And you just, you just be a, you be available for people to, to help them out with uh, you know, with the things that they could use because, people did that to you. And, and if that's done, if you, if you, you get fortunate enough to meet those people and, and I was, so hopefully uh, I can be, um, you know, sometimes good things happen. Sometimes people love it and they go away from it and they're glad they did it for a year or so. And other people stick around it. And before you know it, you find out that, uh, that, you know, even a knucklehead from Rhinebeck, New York, you know, can, can, can do pretty good. So, so, I mean, as you talk about this, Michael, it was, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was um, what's important to Michael Rogan and there's so much going on with the learning connection and just being the Alpine team coach and, you know, other stuff you have. We, I mean, we know you do a lot with uh, manufacturers in Nordica and all these things for different things going on. I mean, it's just the list goes on the U S ski team. Um, you know, it seems though that relationships are like your number one thing to make sure you create relationships with folks. I mean, it seems like that's what helped bring you up through those relationships. And then now, I mean, is that the number one thing for you or are there other things on that? Yeah. Well, look, everybody needs a, every, everybody always needs a boost or, 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 you know, a hand to pick them up uh, or a hand to push them in the right spot. And, and if you don't have those connections with people to, to get a boost or get a, to get a push or a prod in the right direction, or to get a, you know, a yank by the collar in the wrong direction or a slap upside the head. Um, you know, if you, if you don't have those, then, then you just kind of, you just kind of go about wandering and, and wandering is good. Um, but it's maybe that's, that's what modern teaching, you know, wandering is good because you learn stuff by yourself, but every now and again, you need a shepherd to come and say, dude, you're so far off track. Uh, or it would be really smart if you headed down that road. Um, and I, you know, I'm not going to tell you where to go. I'm just going to tell you where to look. Um, and and I think that's important. Uh, that's, that's really important. And those, those are the things that's what I'm excited that, yeah, the, you know, our models, the learning connection model, those types of things, they're, they're extremely valuable. They've a lot of, I mean, that's generations of, of time and effort that's been put into where we are now. Those, those things don't just show up as, as one-offs and, and they're, they're their own thing. You know, I mean, this is a, where we are now is a culmination of, of things like the skills concept, of things like, yeah, you know, the teaching cycle. Uh, it, it's things like relationship building where people skills come out of. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's those types of those types of little divergences or journeys 
that then turn into something that you don't really expect to be something that you suddenly go, wow, that's really important. And we've got, we've got three of them. This is what we do. You know, I mean, there was, there were three skills with, with balance and companying everything. And, and now we have three kind of pillars to our, uh, you know, to, to what is the, the foundation or the, or, or the, the basis of our system in, in the learning connection model of, of technical skills, uh, of teaching and, and how you deal with people in, the, in a classroom and how you do go through the mechanics of teaching lesson and then uh, relationship building and interpersonal skills and, and emotional intelligence. I mean, you know, that didn't come from, that didn't come from nothing. That certainly wasn't, uh, certainly wasn't a great idea that happened you know, a two terms ago or, or last term, that was, this is something that's been built upon from, uh, from who, you know, Sue Spencer, Moses, um, you know, people like that, that have been involved in it way, 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 way before, um, you know, that were, that all kind of got things moving in a direction that we, somebody took, we take now and, and moved it on. And that has come the learning connection model, uh, which is a great little format to, organize your thoughts um, as a ski coach to go, I need to work on these three areas to be a complete ski coach. If I can, if I get good at one of them, I'm good at one of them. If I get good at two of them, I'm a little better. If I get good at three of them, then I got a shot at being, I can, I can be pretty good. I can be, I can become, instead of becoming who I am, I can be who the student needs. And then we start, then you start to shift away from my teaching and how important, oh, well, I taught a great lesson, but they didn't learn anything to let's, let's, let's drop, let's, let's put teaching. It's not about me or you as the teacher. Let's the front, the center stage should become, it should become about learning, not about teaching. Uh, we have to, we got to learn about teaching in order to get better at helping people. That's our job is to help them. But oftentimes the teacher like I did in my first lesson, and I still do it at times, uh, I get in the way of people learning uh, because I'm trying to teach and I'm worried about me teaching instead of them learning. And when I catch myself, it's usually good for a, for a good slap upside the ass with my, with my pole. <laughs> so what makes you wonder what, what, what gets you going? Like you, this whole development and getting to the learning connections taken so long. In, in a good way. I mean, not in a bad. I just, as you're saying how that stuff builds up, what do you think's next? You know, you're the Alpine team coach and what are the things that make you wonder or maybe piss you off a little bit? We're not getting there fast enough or, you know, what's going on in that world in your you mind? Know, I, I, I think we're really in a good, I think we're in a good direction. Uh, I, the, I, this idea of, of understanding people skills and teaching skills. I mean, we're always going to be able to talk about technique. That's what we, that's what we get off on. That's what we gig on. That's what we all enjoy is talking about, you know, how much, how much a frame I have compared to somebody else who doesn't like a picture that, that shows up in ski magazine of me uh, or uh, how much, what's, what is counter versus separation? Is it lateral balance? Is it four agonal? Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ga he gagged a little. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're always going to have the technique stuff. Do I ski with a longer pole or a shorter pole? I've seen, uh, you know, my boots stiff or soft. I mean, all, there's all kinds of, the, we'll, we'll have those forever. Yeah. But I think really the things that start to set us apart as a country 
and as an organization is understanding people skills and teaching skills and the difference there. And, and, and uh, it might not seem like much right here, right now, but as this, as this, I mean, we're a couple of years now. Uh, I am personally um, through work with the with the with the Alpine team and and the national team. Um, you know, those people think fast, man. And th- these conversations have been happening for quite a while. Um, but it takes a little bit of time for something to to kind of show up and come to life. So if if it's been going on in in the conversations that I'm honored to be a part of, um, for five, six years now, uh, we still have memberships that members that, uh, are, are unaware, uh, you know, that there's a, that, that we value, uh, your emotional intelligences and how you interact with, with your environment and the mechanics of teaching a lesson about communication and, and allowing people to play and, uh, those types of things. And it doesn't seem like a big differentiation difference right now here because we're just building this road. But like anything that's just a little bit off, you get a mile and a half down the road. You get a couple of years down the road. And I'm, I've, I'm fortunate to have seen a couple of years down the road uh, because when I was part of the conversations early on, the, those differences, that difference was, you know, just the slightest bit. But now six years from now, you know, there's a, there's a measurable difference and we go another three or four years. And before you know it, you know, it's a different exit on the freeway. Um, and, uh, and I think we're in that process. Um, so that, that's kind of the, those are kind of the things that, that get me going. I, I look at Interski. Um, maybe here's a couple of examples that are interesting. Um, you know, we were, <laughs> Here's, I'm going to answer a couple of questions. Um, <laughs> before the our last inner ski in Bulgaria, or was it the one in Argentina? We got pre- criticized pretty heavily. What is the USA doing? What's PSI doing? They're not doing anything. They're blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> we were working hard at taking a step away from or looking ahead to where things could go because at that point in time, um, it was Argentina. Uh, there was lots of talk about experiential learning. You know, let's go out and, and have experiences and we learn from them. Um, and, and it became very quickly, again, it became egocentric about experiential teaching. Like, oh, I let my people play and, and yeah, we had, I asked questions and, uh, and, and I, I kind of let them ski a little bit longer and I didn't talk as much and, but yet the, the learning may or may not have been happening. Um, and, and at inner skis at, in Argentina, I, I had a broken leg. Uh, so I wasn't able to be on the hill, but, but you, you start to hear the conversations, um, that, uh, that go on afterwards or when everybody else, all the team members are up giving their workshops and, and I'm sitting in the coffee bar and, and I'm sitting with the, you know, next to the people that don't go out up on the hill, but it turns out that they're kind of the, they might be the, a little bit of the brain trust behind what, what the folks are on the hill are, are doing. Um, and they, and they talk about, boy, you know what, God, the, we're into this experiential teaching thing. Everybody's into it. And, and now we, now we find out that 
it's experiential learning and maybe not experiential teaching that's as important. And um, I have a picture on my phone, I should find it, uh, but of, of a Japanese delegate on the airplane as we're flying back who, uh, who had our brochure out and was looking at it and was circling things and putting exclamation points on this and circling other things and putting question marks on that. And, um, and then he was going back to their manual and looking for it and couldn't find it and went back and made some more notes. And, and I'm certainly, uh, again, Stu, I'm not going to let the truth get in the way of a great story, but, <laughs> but you could tell that there were, there were brain activities about how we were being different being the relationship part, being concerned about the learning. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I, I'm not gonna say that we should take anything away from the teaching in order for somebody to learn, we need some help. Uh, yeah. But the important part is, is the learning and not necessarily the teaching. Cause oftentimes we can, we can in the teaching, we can stifle the learning because we're so concerned about our teaching and not as concerned about their learning. Um, and, and I appreciate seeing Angelo's head nod a little bit because knowing his (laughs) education and formal education, Mm -hmm. um, at least I'm, I'm, I'm on something that strikes a chord there. And then, and then we get to, uh, Bulgaria where we really roll these things out. And and we had asked the question in Argentina, what makes a great instructor? And we got a little bit of answer. And then in Bulgaria, uh, we brought some of that information back and we started to talk about the differentiation between teaching and learning uh, and experiential teaching, experiential learning. And, and that then sparked more conversations and, and at a place like an inner ski, when you go and, and you see other countries workshops or you hear talking and they were all about experiential teaching. And it was wonderful because we're, we're shifting away from, I know everything, you know, nothing. So let me give you everything that I know. Um, and we get into, let's go out and do some things and I can help you through those. Uh, and, and I feel like in the, in the States and, and PSIA and ASI, we did a really good job of going, wait, there's a little bit more to this. And, and we should be talking about experiential learning um, as much as we're concerned about the mechanics of good, solid experiential teaching. Um, you know, I mean, that's thanks to to people like Horst Abraham and Skiing Right. I mean, who doesn't have a copy of Skiing Right in their library? Um, if you don't, if you're one of the eight <laughs> people listening to this and you don't, <laughs> we should we, sh- we should all have it. Um, y- you know, I mean, it's just it's interesting because at Interski, uh, here's a couple of of interesting ones. Uh, a guy by the name of Giusti Olivieri, the 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 guy, the godfather of Argentine ski instruction. Um, just ask him, he'll tell you. He's a great man and a wonderful person. But uh, but he came up to me and he says, you know, it's about time. It's about time the rest of the world figured you guys out. You might not have gotten all of the dues that you deserve to get based on what was important to you and what was important to us. Um, but we're starting to come around and now you see you see multiple countries giving workshops about experiential teaching. Um, and that is because of your impetus in Sesto in 1976. 
um, you know, with Jens Ryan and Husted and, and then followed up with Porter and Sean Smith and Dave Merriam and Carol Levine and D. Byrne and Ellen Post Foster and uh, Nancy Oaks. Um, and then on to, you know, Scott Mathers and, and Jay Evans. And then now into uh, Rob Sogard being the coach. And when I made it with him in 1996, um, you know, and, and people like Murmur, who really forced those issues and, and, uh, and kept us on track. And then people like Horst and Porter and, and all those people asking questions of us um, so that we could then be where we are today so that people, the team now, uh, and Chorling, uh, Heidi, Jonathan, Brian, Smitty, you know, uh, Josh Fogg, Dusty, we can all be successful. Uh, we can all be successful perpetuating that. And you look at other countries that say the one thing, like they'll say that they're going to change everything. If you pay paying attention uh, as it, as Innerski was evolving this last one, you know, there was a big to do about Austria deciding to make a shift from carving to, um, to this, this light skiing, um, you know, lighter edge, softer, flatter skis kind of thing. And, and, uh, and I, I tip my hat to them um, that they made the shift. Um, uh, based on what their ski school directors came to them and said, our guests don't want to carve. They want to ski all day long. <laughs> they want to go have lunch up there and carving's not going to do that to get them up there and then back down here. So yeah. they, they want, so I tip my hat to them for, for doing that. That was, that was wonderful, but it was this revelation. And then I go 20 years ago, we were started chatting about this stuff. Well, more than 20 years ago. I mean, uh, you know, we, this, this was stuff that was important to us. Um, so that's, that's something that you see in, and, and, uh, and, and I watch, and sometimes those are some of the things that whether it irritates me or makes me scratch my head. Um, but, uh, but that's important. That's what gets, what gets me going. I, and I, I, I listen to, I look at other, other, uh, aspects, other sports. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think our, our sport is tricky because it is so complex. It really is. And not that others aren't, but, but we move on an uneven surface uh, and every foot feels something different. Um, and every ski goes through a different condition. Um, whereas, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, golf does a great job, I think, of, of being very mechanical, but they also do a really good job of saying, hey, look, just figure out how to get the golf ball on the, the golf club on the golf ball hit the ball solid and let the body figure out how to do that. And then we'll reverse engineer it and back up. And um, so where I, where I look, I look to other sports that, uh, that I think have, um, you know, pro sports, they got a coach for everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and that coach is worried about the, you know, the littlest detail and they got unlimited resources. So when you start to hear, a, you start to hear a, a position coach in football or, or baseball or hockey talk about things. Uh, and then you get, then you get to hear the head coach, like a guy like Bill Belichick um, just give his kind of vision. Like we got to figure out how to, how to not have two on ones. And then the position coach figures that out and just that interaction. That, that's kind of what interests me uh, as I look at, at our profession, some of the things. Yeah. And, and when it comes to equipment, like, you know, I, I hear how you have your equipment perfected and um, I, I have been at pro jam <laughs> look at me. He's got, yeah, I've been at pro jam and I have 
you know, gone, yeah, I might, maybe I should tune my skis tonight. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to go out. I got invited to dinner. So look at him. So, so I'm coming out into this, into the stairwell and there's Michael. And I don't know whose skis, but you were working on one of the other team members skis. All I did, I was so focused on the ski. I, I wasn't sure there was going to be any edge left. And I'm just watching, looking at the metal on the floor. And I'm going, I know he knows what he's doing. And man, he's trying to do something with that ski. And oh man, I, I would, I'd probably destroy it. But I mean, tell us a little bit about equipment. Cause I know you're definitely very in tune with what's going on with your equipment. Well, I, I, Thank you. I'm glad that you have that observation in a stairwell a long time ago. Dave. <laughs> yeah, was, oh, by the way, it is Wednesday. And what is Wednesday, Dave? It's hump day. Hump, hump, hump day. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Killington when you that first commercial came out and you came into the, into the pro room and said, Rogan, what day is it? And you I'm were like, just, what are you talking about? And then I, I saw Robin the, had to fill you in. <laughs> I saw the commercial on TV and I still remember that, Dave. So it was good. Um, I, you know what I, I liked? I, I, I really like tinkering. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy it. I, I learn a, I've learned a ton about it, uh, about my equipment and, and my, my skiing, um, and therefore other people's skiing when it comes to equipment. Um, and, and I like it because it's a variable that I can control. You know, if I get the right tool for the right job and it's, and it's properly prepared, I don't have to worry about it. It's not something that that is a concern of mine. So, um, my skis, um, are all about the same. Uh, I do my best to keep the base bevel somewhere between half a degree somewhere. See, and now I'm not even being, uh, exacting, but somewhere between a half, uh, for, um, for higher performance skis, slalom skis, GS skis, um, a narrower ski to about one and a half for my for my big wide skis. Um, that really doesn't matter. If, it, if you're on a wide ski and you're using them for the right job, you're having a great day no matter what because it's soft. But sometimes you do have to get onto a groomer to get to the next piece of off-groom stuff and, and you want them to be work uh, well. But, uh, but my side edge is four. Um, I, I, I have pairs of skis that I neglect that I haven't ever seen any tuning, but I, I often teach on those and, and I teach a lot of beginners, um, which is something that, I, that is different than, than a lot of folks. I think, uh, I teach a lot of beginners at heavenly. So I, I can have a pair of skis that I can walk on and off the magic carpet and step on people's bindings and step on their skis and help them up if, uh, if need be. But, um, but I, I've made, every time I talk about tuning, I, I talk, I make this deal with somebody. Uh, every time I talk and I say, look, if you can, in the course of normal maintenance, if you can maintain your skis, regular daily maintenance, and in the course of two seasons, two seasons, you can tune the edge off of your ski. So most skis that we all get as consumers are, uh, are a half of a millimeter of, of width of edge on the base. Um, that's pretty standard for, uh, for consumer skis. Um, there are some, there's some specialty garage brands that, that have a little bit of a wider one because it's powder ski and they need a little bit of that structural support when they hit rocks or trees, not to blow the edges apart. But for the most part, um, everything is about a half of a centimeter, sorry, half a centimeter wide. And, uh, and my deal is my arrangement is, is that if you can tune the edge off of that ski in two seasons, I'll buy you another pair of skis. 
anything you want. And my caveat is then it's got to be under normal wear and tear. And if you do, I'll buy you the next pair of skis, but your skiing will be so much better for it because you will always have a tuned ski versus it will be just be it, in order to, yeah. to do that. And I've tried and it takes me two years, which is four seasons yeah. right. to get through uh, to, to, and I got to go at them. I mean, they are, they're always sharp. It's after every two uses I'm using a, a file or a machine. I mean, now these machines are, are a lot easier. There's a Swix Evo that's sold in the PSIA SI catalog um, that is really efficient and effective and quick, uh, and relatively clean. Um, but, um, but that's the deal. So if, if you can tune it off in, in two seasons, I'll buy a new pair and, uh, you'll, you'll be much better skier for it because your skis will always be tuned. Um, so, and I like it. It's there's, there's some, something, there's a amount of meditation when you get a good file, good European hard steel, and it pulls off a, you got to show Angelo how you tune a ski with that file. Cause when I came into that and I'd had a few beers and I walked in there and the two of you were there and I'm like, I just like stopped and was like, Oh my God, they're yeah. attacking those skis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you got to, I mean, otherwise what ends up happening is you don't cut back yeah. the sidewall and then you don't right. file the edge and you don't get to where the, the, the edge of the edge is yeah. and you do all this work and you really have done nothing. Right. Uh, and then you compare that to, you know, Joe Wood used to take his and I, First, when I first got a tuning lesson from Emily Gregg, uh, you know, Joe Wood came out and took the file and right down the edge, 45 degree off. And then he chopped at it with a, like a hatchet <laughs> and says, that's all the grip I need. And I'm better off slipping because I don't want to grip anyway. Off he went. <laughs> Never tuned a ski in his life. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wasn't as good. But yeah, uh -huh. I, I like to be a little anal about equipment. I, I, I appreciate a, a ski that's well taken care of. And, yeah. and that, uh, that responds well and does what you need. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm getting that way with, I'm starting to get that way with ski boots, but since yeah. you sent me some questions, yeah, I, I did, I did bring in, I did bring in a pair of ski boots and, and some of the things that, uh, that I've done in the past. And one of the things that I've, I'm trying here in the future. What is it? Well, uh, I guess the way that my boots were was I had a footboard that looked like this. Well, Dave Maniter in 1995 said, Michael Rogan, if you're going to make the demo team, you need to change your stance. And I didn't know what to do. So I said, okay, that's all he told me. So I started to think, what are the things that I can do to a ski boot? And I can change the boot board, the ramp angle, the delta, and I can change the forward lean. So I started to screw around and I started to put in heel lifts, just build up the boot. And I got to a point where I thought, ah, that feels pretty good. That feels pretty good. A little more that feels good. A little more that feels good. A little more. Nope. That's too much. Okay. So now I know I got a little bit of a ballpark range of where I belong. And then I did the same with forward lean and I added stuff and trail maps and all those things. And I'm like, ah, that feels pretty good. That feels pretty good. That feels pretty good. Oh, that's too far. Back it off just a little bit. And I ended up with a boot board like this thickness and forward lean of that thickness, which is, if you remember, maybe would, yep. that's quite a bit. It's a fair yeah. amount. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's probably, you know, it's probably half to three eighths of an inch. Now nah, half to a half to a little bit thicker than a half. What's that? Five eighths. Um, 
Um, so that went in there and, and it kind of did this to me because I wanted, Dave said, I needed to change my stance. Well, I needed, I needed an angle in my ankle that was less than 90 degrees, but I still needed range of motion so that I could have some touch. Um, so when I just did this, just lifted up the heel, uh, my ankle actually opened up. So it was good. It helped. I got all kinds of range of motion, but, but my ankle was less than, was more than 90 degrees. So then I did this and I pushed my lower leg forward and that was nice. I closed the ankle, but I, I lost range of motion. So I just figured I'd do both. And I take that, that angle and I kink it in my ski boot this way. Uh, and that served me well for, well, better part of a decade and a half. Uh, and then I started to experiment and experiment. And now I've gotten to, now I've gotten to in footboards. Really, this is really interesting to people. Yeah, it, it is right. to me. It's and it's it's our podcast, right, Angelo? I, I hope Angelo's liking it. So I, I've oh, gotten. Wow. Let's see if I can't put them side to side and give you a good angle. Yeah. So thickness wise, I've gone from this is twenty six millimeters. This is twenty two millimeters. Yeah. So I've gone from higher up to lower down. And that yeah. never made sense to me. Sean Smith always talked about dropping the heel and it never made yeah. sense to me because I felt like I would be in a hole and my hips would go back. So it just didn't make logical sense to me. Tell you how silly I was or <laughs> how just, I was just in that phase of experiment Two, yeah. forward lean. That is, that was, see if I can get it there, that thick to now it's this thick. Oh. Yeah. So I went from here and there to now I've gone this way and that way. So I've kind of done similar things. I've just, for me at first, experimenting yeah. with it, I went, whatever pushes me forward, that's the way I need to get. Joe Wood always used to say, if you get in trouble, get in the air, jump. Yeah. If you can get your feet off the ground, you're going to get in, but you're, you're going to have a shot at landing in balance. If you're out of balance and you can't get your feet off the ground, then you're so far out of balance that you probably don't deserve to, to do anything but fall. Yeah. Uh, um, so that was in that mood of experimentation. And, and now over time, uh, I flattened my, uh, my footboard by four millimeters, which doesn't seem like much, but it's a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think that yeah, it is. A ton. There we go. Yeah. And that's a, it's a, it's a fair amount yep. and, uh, and I've gotten rid of a, a bunch of, of forward lean, but I still find that, um, I'm not quite as bent. I don't have as many kinks in my body. Um, so I'm able to be a little bit, a little bit smoother. I mean, I still have range of motion in my ankles and my legs. Um, I feel like if, if I move forward, the ski re really reacts well. Um, I would say that it feels flat if I'm just standing there. I mean, would I recommend to people to experiment? Yes. Experiment. Would I recommend that they go right to that? Uh, maybe not because, um, because it, it feels flat and, uh, and when you, it, it you, the bindings got to, they, they correlate, they got to play into, come into effect a little bit. The difference between the, the heel and the toe of the bindings, you got to take into a little bit of account. And, and every time you switch a model of binding, it can, uh, it can change. But, um, but being able to do that, that experimentation is just, it's just led me down different roads. And, and that's how I just like getting started in ski teaching. It's about experimenting and, and people should experiment to find their best, their, their best. There was a, there was a post on some internet chat the other day that talked about 
you know, I'm, I, I've been to thousands of, not thousands, I'm exaggerating. I've been to a bunch of boot fitters and I can't quite get the answer that I'm looking for. And, and I finally looked at the, my response was, it sounds like you're, you're, you are your best expert and you need to experiment a little bit and you need to go figure these things out. And, and I, I mean, I'm lucky I, I have the ability, but I save boot parts. Uh, and the whole process started again with Dave Maniter. Uh, and I took an old pair of Technica TNTs when they first came out, took all the guts out of them and I riveted them at 90 degrees <laughs> and put them on and went skiing. And I, and I almost couldn't get off the chairlift. Oh my God. <laughs> we need video of that. Oh, man. well, the, the video camera was, I can't even, it, I can't, I can't put my hands in the screen and show you the size of the camera. I mean, the video camera was, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was this big. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to, it. when it comes to the experimentation, this is one that, um, you know, it's kind of one I, I wonder, cause a lot of people have different sensations. Huh? Do you, when you do this experimentation, are you getting more feedback from your ski and that external sensation, or are you getting equal from your ski, equal from the way you feel comfortable in your body to be able to move? Is there a, a medium there? Is like it's more the ski, I'm not as focused with the body feelings? or Well, I know what it is I want to accomplish. Yeah. First of all, I, have, I go into this process with intent. I know what my outcome is. I know what my goal is. And, and I know how I want the ski to react and, and how I want to feel within the course of, of a turn and within that given snow condition. And, uh, I, I let those, I let the sensations come back to me and, and they decide. Um, and, and I make little changes and, and try it again. And, uh, I, I do take notes. I'm, I'm a note taker. Um, sometimes, uh, it's done after the fact, but, but I take notes and now I can do it on my phone, but I take notes that say, yeah, this setup felt great. Nope, this setup felt bad. Oh, it felt good here, but bad there. Uh, and then just tinkering around to see if I can't uh, if I can't figure it out. Uh, I mean, that's that's one of the things that that I've been criticized. It was again, there was another chat about a framing, yeah. um, and uh, and I've been accused of having one, especially on on my left foot. <laughs> uh, but the ski and what I feel like I can do with the ski is just what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I don't care what it looks like. <laughs> I like I that kind of outcome. Angelo, I know, likes that. You can see him smile. He loves that. Well, I, and yeah, I mean, we are a very body-centric organization, right? I mean, you're just blowing minds right now with that. Yeah, yeah you, you got to pay. I mean, uh, I'm trying to coin, I'm trying to coin my, uh, a little bit of a phrase here because I felt like it was so, so interesting. You know, Ben Hogan used to say the, you know, the answers in the dirt and, and I'm, I'm trying to, to say more and more, you know, the answers in the snow, um, you know, that's, that's where the answer comes from. It's, it's a, you got to have a direction. You got to know what your outcome is. Um, you know, it, it should be ready, ready, aim, fire, not ready, fire, aim. Um, so you got to know what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and then you just figure out, figuring out how to, how to get the ski to do that or, or get the ski to be in the places on, uh, you know, in, in bumps, I look at bumps as a, as an extremely complex puzzle to solve. And, and most of the time people can't do what it is they're trying to do because they can't see where it is they want to go versus where they end up. Um, you know, and, and if you, if you always end up in the same spots and you can't see that other line. There's no way that you're going to be able to put your skis there. 
let alone put your skis there and be able to listen to the conversation that's going on between your ski and the snow about how the ski is going to react and then be able to, then you be able to adjust accordingly. Um, and, and there is no one answer. I mean, I had one way and now I'm going a different way. Um, you know, some people like a setup uh, of, of equipment that is, is biased towards one thing. I know I do. Um, I have ski boots, uh, that are the lower half and the upper half are different, different stiffnesses. Um, and if stiffnesses, I mean, if we use, uh, if we use, uh, the regular scale, that's, that's kind of accepted as a general idea, although it's not necessarily accurate, but it's just a general idea. Uh, my upper cuff of my boot is one thirty, So it's a medium to soft flex. And the lower of my, the lower of my boot is, uh, is the second stiffest that Nordica makes. It's about a one eighty. Wow. I mean, it's, it's rock solid. It's yeah. hard to get in and out of. Um, but, uh, I feel like I can still get the fore aft from the softer upper. Uh, but yet I get the side to side because I, I feel like I use my feet and ankles a lot. That was always drilled into me. Um, I used my feet and ankles this way a lot. So I appreciate the, the, the transmission of, of information and energy. And I, and I pay a little bit of the price off trail. I definitely pay a little bit of a price off trail, um, but I reap the benefits on trail. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's not, you're not going to get one, one ski quiver, one, one boot quiver. You're going to have, it's going to have some weaknesses, but that's, that's a part of the fun is that at least, you know, what your weakness is going to be and where you're going to struggle. And when you get to that situation, you go, I got to work a little bit harder here and I can't expect it to be as or as easy or as forthcoming. Yeah. Well, I have to say, Michael, I got to thank you for um, being with us tonight and I'm hoping you'll come back because, because I know I, I could ask you questions forever because I know there's, there's a ton of knowledge in there and all the people you mentioned that you've learned from that uh, it's great to hear their names. And a lot of them I've had the opportunity to ski with, but um, hopefully you'll come back and thanks Love for to. being with us and any parting uh, messages there, Angelo. I got like 30 questions here and you're ending it. That's <laughs> <laughs> why I had to invite him back. It's like, my God. Yeah, we do have like 30 questions. I know. Can't, I, we, can't we just, can't we just do another one? Keep going. Episode number yeah, 6.1. There yeah. you go. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's, let's, let's give the, let's give our crew a break and <laughs> come, come back with part two. <laughs> I love that idea. Right. Yeah. Now. Let's do it. We might get something meaningful. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in part three. <laughs> <laughs> some folks takes longer than others that's yeah, right it must be me 